Good morning and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am thankful you have joined me this morning. My name is Ken Tuck and I am thankful to be here with you to share the Word of God this morning. We are concluding our 11-part series on the full armor of God. This is the longest series that I've taught here on Sunday Morning with Love and Action. If you've missed some of the teachings and you would like to hear them, you can listen to them on the Love in Action podcast. You can find the Love in Action podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find the Love in Action podcast and you can listen to the parts of the series that you have missed. If you've missed the other 10 lessons, well, don't tune out just because this is the last one, because God will have something for you in his word this morning. I promise you that. Before we get into our last lesson on this series, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we thank you. God, what an awesome God we serve. What an awesome privilege it is to serve you. You are holy. You are mighty. You are awesome. God, that's the best word I can come up with to describe you in the English language is awesome. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins. And I thank you, Jesus, that You died on that cross for our sins. And on the third day, God, you raised Jesus back to life. So all who believe shall not perish but have eternal life. That's for everyone on the face of this earth who believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Lord, I pray that those listening this morning who have not believed, I pray that this will be the morning that they do and that they give their lives to you. For the believers out there listening, God, I pray that you will encourage them through your word, that you will just... Lift them up, Lord, and let them know that you're with them, that you love them, and that you've got a purpose for us, Lord. And I know one of those purposes, the main purpose is to, is to get to know you, our Father, and to receive your love and to give you our love and to tell others about you, Jesus. Father, I pray for each person listening, Lord, whatever situation they may find themselves in this morning, good or bad sick or going through issues in relationships or maybe finances, whatever it is, Lord, I pray each one will turn to you and give it to you. For you tell us in your word to cast all of our cares upon you because you love us, because you care for us. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you teach us, that you guide us, lead us into all truths, and may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. Father, we love you, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In this last lesson on the armor of God, we're going to look at an item that is not mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is where we find the full armor of God as Paul describes this full armor. And for 10 weeks, we have been looking at each piece. We've been talking about the armor of God, the importance of it, what it means, how to apply it to our lives. But the last piece that we're going to look at is not mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6. Rather, it's found in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, the great prophet, and it's called the cloak of zeal. And while it's not listed with the rest of the armor of God, this cloak factors heavily in the lives of Christians, and not just Christians here, but Christians everywhere, all around the world. It's an important piece of our armor. And so we're going to look at how does this cloak fit with the military equipment that Paul wrote about. Again, Paul was under house arrest with the Romans, and he became well acquainted with the Roman weaponry, and God gave him this illustration to use to show how he has given us an armor, a full armor, 
And we're going to see how this cloak fits in with that to, to keep that theme going through this series. And we're going to talk about what lesson can we learn from it. We've all seen movies where people are wearing cloaks. And those characters are usually mysterious. They are usually shrouded with intrigue and danger. But beyond their appeal and works of fiction, the cloaks used by ancient armies had a variety of uses that make them relevant today. Not just as a point of fleeting interest, but as an invaluable tool in our constant war against Satan. We've been talking about all series that this war is spiritual and it's against a real enemy, Satan and his forces. And God gives us this incredible armor that we've talked about. And this cloak of zeal is something that's very important for us to look at. And it's usually not covered when talking about the armor of God, but it's in the Bible and it's in the Old Testament. So it has to be important because God mentioned it. Let's look at first at what the purpose of the cloak served in the Roman army, because they actually had cloaks with a Roman soldier at that time. The cloak served multiple important functions for the Roman soldier. It provided warmth, and that's important when you're out defending or fighting and it's cold outside. And so you need this cloak for warmth to help provide warmth. And there were natural oils that were used to make the cloaks nearly waterproof. So there's another important piece. You don't want a soldier who was cold and who was wet because they were out there. They were out there in, in the elements and when it was cold, when it was raining, these cloaks served a very important purpose. It also provided a makeshift bedding, which was also important when they had these long marches that they went on. And they had to camp overnight, over a number of nights. And so these cloaks served as bedding as well. Without this cloak, a soldier was subject to bitter cold, freezing rain, and painfully uncomfortable nights. These unfortunate conditions would give a noticeable edge to the enemy if they were better equipped. And you can see how that would happen because a soldier who is cold and wet and sore because he couldn't sleep well becomes a demotivated soldier. And while a demotivated soldier is still capable of fighting, he won't be performing at his peak. So the cloak was an important part of the Roman soldier's armor. Now let's look at what is zeal. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 2. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 2. Thus the Lord of hosts says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor. I am zealous for her. Now God here is saying that he himself is zealous and fervently passionate about his people and his plan. Now he was talking about the people of Israel at that time, but he that's included in all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, because we are his people too. So God is zealous for us. And in the simplest terms, zeal is fuel. What I mean by that, it's anything that drives people, their passion, their purpose, what they live for. For Christians, zeal is a burning desire to do God's will and to live according to his purpose. Now we know people who are zealous about what they do. I know people who have great zeal for their jobs, and they give all that they have, all that's within them for their jobs because they're very zealous for them. We know some zealous football fans, don't we, here in Alabama? So it's, it's whatever you have a great passion for. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that our zeal is focused in the right direction and focused 
on our King, on our Savior, on our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is the cloak of zeal important to us Christians? Well, let's again look at Scripture. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So here's where we get the cloak of zeal from, Isaiah 59, verse 17. We see Isaiah writing about the breastplate of righteousness here and about the helmet of salvation. So no doubt Paul pulled from that because Paul was such a great student of the word of God. So Paul knew about the breastplate of righteousness. He knew about the helmet of salvation. But we read there about the garments of vengeance. And we said at the very beginning of the series, I mentioned this and said, this is not for us to wear the garments of vengeance. That's God. That's for God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So that is for God. That's not for us. But the cloak of zeal, that is for us. And just as a soldier without a cloak could quickly find himself demotivated and unable to operate at his peak, we as soldiers of Christ will quickly find ourselves unable to operate at our peak unless we are fueled by zeal. We have to have zeal for the Lord. We have to have zeal for his gospel, knowing that we need to share him with others. Because if we don't have that zeal, we're not going to share Jesus with others. Our zeal is going to be misplaced, and it's not going to matter for eternity. We have to think about eternity, and we think, have to think about the one who died for us, who paid the price for us, and who came back to life to give all who believe eternal life. And if we can't have zeal for Jesus, we really can't have zeal for anything because nobody's done what Jesus has done for us. And nobody loves us with the love that Jesus loves us with. And we can pull some examples from the Bible about zeal. The first one I'm going to share with you is pretty intense. And I'm not telling you to go out and do what the priest does in this story. As a matter of fact, don't go out and do what the priest does in this story. But it is about zeal and about zealous for the Lord. And the Old Testament days were a lot different than they are today. And let's look at that. In Numbers chapter 25, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. God was very upset with the children of Israel at this time. And a plague had broken out because of their sins and their idolatry. And 24,000 people died because of that plague. So the people were weeping. They were upset about what they had done as a nation. 
When Israel's sexual immorality with their pagan neighbors led them away from the true God and toward worshiping the pagan god Baal, Phineas he took a stand. After God told his followers to kill all those who were now worshiping Baal, an Israelite had the nerve to walk in plain sight to his tent with a pagan woman. Things like this happen when a person just does not care, and obviously doesn't care that he is knowingly sinning against God and is turning completely away from God, and he doesn't care who sees him. And he apparently thought he was too important to have to obey the laws against adultery and idolatry. And Phineas, he was on fire with zeal for God, and he followed those two into the tent and ran them both through with a spear. Uh, It seems like a harsh response, but Phineas receives commendation from God. And later, a reference in Psalms. And why? Because when God gives us a command, we are to keep it. The zeal of Phineas It's remarkable because while the rest of Israel, they just stood there and watched. Nobody said anything. They just watched this guy walk in with this pagan woman in front of everybody. But Phineas said, no, I'm going to take a stand here because I know what God has told us to do, and I'm going to listen to him. Phineas stood up, and he took the initiative acting on the word of God. Now, God does not command us to take the lives of people today. So that's why I prefaced this story that, I'm not telling you to go out and do this. Don't do this. God's not telling us to do this. But the example here shows the kind of zeal we must have for God. We need to stand firm on the word of God. We shouldn't waver to the left or to the right. And we need to stand for what matters. We need to stand on the word of God. Let's look in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Ephesus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, also laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. We're given a different example of zeal here in in Colossians. We're given this very brief glimpse of Ephesus. And from this passage that Paul wrote, we learn two important facts about this man. First, he was a member of the early New Testament church. And second, he had zeal. And Paul commends him to the church for always laboring fervently for you in prayers. This was how his zeal showed himself, through fervent prayer. He cared deeply about his fellow laborers in Christ. And as a result, he dedicated much of his time toward petitioning God on their behalf. And we talked last week about prayer and about supplication, about praying always. And this man was doing that. And he was praying for his brothers and sisters in the church. And true zeal for God's way means a love for and a desire to serve our brothers and sisters, just like Ephesus did. I often think of Simon the Zealot when I hear the word zeal or zealous or zealot. We know that Simon the Zealot was one of the disciples of Christ, one of the first 12 disciples of Jesus, and he's one of the most obscure apostles. We don't read much about him at all in the Gospels or in Acts or in any of Paul's letters. So we don't know a whole lot about Simon. He plays no particular role in the Gospels, and is only mentioned by name in the list of the apostles, and we find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in Acts. We know almost nothing about Simon the Zealot. All we know is that he was called the Zealot. (laughs) 
And that's kind of an ambiguous in and of itself because we're not exactly sure what it means, uh, though there are several strong possibilities. Uh, he may have belonged to a Jewish sect known as the Zealots who were bent on revolution and looking for a Messiah to come and violently overthrow Rome. And that's how he's portrayed in the television series, The Chosen. And of course, if you're watching that series, you see how he meets Jesus and Jesus really disarms him of his weapon and says, follow me. And so he becomes zealous for Jesus, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he could have been, before meeting Jesus, he could have been just zealous for the Mosaic law. We really don't know, but we do know that he had zeal for Jesus because he followed Jesus and he was one of the 12 and he got to spend three years with Jesus. And even in the early church writings, we don't read a, much at all about him. Uh, some say he went to Egypt and proclaimed the gospel. And while there, he was martyred by being sawed in half. Others say that he ministered in Persia and he was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Uh, so either way, he had zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ and he gave his life for the gospel. And if you're willing to give your life for something, then you have zeal for that. That's why I often think of Simon the Zealot when I hear the word zeal. John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. What better example of zeal could there be than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Our King Jesus, he had zeal for our Father's house. He said, don't make it a den of thieves. He said, this is a house of worship. And the disciples recognized this as a case study and being motivated by godly zeal. And it's in Matthew 21, 13, where Jesus said that they made the temple a house of thieves. So Jesus had great zeal for the Father's house. He had great zeal, obviously, for the Word. He had great zeal for us, for His mission to come and pay the ultimate price for us, to die for our sins, and to rise again to give all who believe eternal life. So we have to ask ourselves, are we on fire for God? Do we deeply care about our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do we deeply care about the fact that there are people all around us who are dying and going to an eternal hell, that should be something that we all have zeal for, and that's to reach people with the gospel, to give each person an opportunity to change their destiny, to change from the road that they're on now, which the Word of God says the road to destruction is wide and is easy, and many are on it, and the road that leads to life is hard, and few are on it. But we need to tell people about Jesus so they can have that opportunity to change roads, to turn from an eternity of torture, an eternity of being separated from God forever and ever and ever, to life, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, the one who was raised again for us, the one who saves our eternal souls. For all who call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Have you called on the name of Jesus yet? Maybe you, you did when you were younger, but through the cares of life and the distractions, 
you wandered away and you may be listening this morning and you hadn't really thought much about Jesus. You may, might not have thought much about the gospel, but you turned the radio on and this radio station popped up. It's no mistake, my friend. God has a, has a message for you. He still loves you. He has not forgotten you. And he is standing there with arms wide open, ready to receive you back. Just call upon his name, the name of Jesus, and ask God to forgive you and that you want to come back home to him. And just like the prodigal son, he will welcome you back with open arms and celebrate. The angels in heaven will celebrate over you. Just return to Jesus Christ and start living for him. And if you're listening this morning and you've never made that decision, what an awesome time to do it because it's now. It's today. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next 10 minutes. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. I'm just presenting facts. People die every day. And many of those people didn't know they were going to die. Some people have a terminal illness. And they know that unless God intervenes, they're going to die. But many people don't. Death just happens. So have you thought about where would you go when you die? If you died this second, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And if the answer is, well, I don't know, then you're not going to heaven because the Bible makes it clear that we can know and have confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ that we are going to go be with him forever. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you believe? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we read that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus? Oh, I encourage you to do that this morning. I plead with you, do that this morning. And let me just lead you in a simple prayer, and it's a lot more than just saying a prayer. It's believing with all your heart, like we just read in Romans. All your heart, not just head knowledge, but with your heart, with all that's within you. Just pray along with me. Pray, dear God, I come to you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I haven't been living for you, but I want to. I want to start today. So I come here this morning to give you my life. Thank you for giving your life and dying on that cross for my sins, because I believe with all my heart that you did that. I believe with all my heart that you rose from the grave on the third day to give all who believe eternal life. And I confess right here, right now, that Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Make me whole. And help me day by day to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I love you. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to tell somebody. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. Ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. 
You can call us at Love in Action at 334-494-4995. That's 334-494-4995. I'd love to give you some next steps. I'd love to tell you about baptism. And matter of fact, I will right now. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's very important because it's often a person's first obedience to Jesus, and that's to follow him in baptism. He tells us to be baptized. And I say it doesn't save us because it doesn't. Jesus did. When the thief on the cross got saved, he asked Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So immediately he was saved, and he didn't have time to come down off that cross. They didn't let him off the cross to be baptized. He went home to be with Jesus in heaven that day. But baptism is important, very important. Again, it's an act of obedience. It's an outward sign, outward witness to others that you are following Jesus. There's a lot of symbolism in baptism when you're immersed because the word baptism in the Greek is baptismo, which means to immerse. So as you're immersed in the water, it's symbolic of dying with Jesus to our sins. Just like he was buried and put into a tomb. And then when you rise up out of the water, it's symbolic of rising back up to that new life with Jesus that he gave you. And when he arose from the grave, came out of the grave conquering death, sin, and Satan, he says, all who believe shall have life and life eternal. And so that's symbolic of that. And the blood of Jesus washes us clean and the water is symbolic of that. So I would encourage you to be baptized. But I have some material I'd love to send you to help you along with some next steps because we all need somebody to help us along. This road that we walk with Jesus is not one that we travel alone. He doesn't intend it to be that way. He intends us to walk this life with other brothers and sisters, with the body of Christ, and encourage you to find a church home to go to. You might think, oh, church isn't for me, Ken. But you know what? Try some churches out there. We We have some really good churches here in Dothan, and I encourage you to 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 find that one. Again, I I can talk to you about that as well. But those of y'all who do know Jesus, you you know you're saved, you know you're on the the narrow road, you're heading to heaven, then tell people about Jesus. God puts people in your path each and every day. Tell them about Jesus. Let them know that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he rose again for them. Have zeal. Be zealous for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's apply this cloak of zeal that I've been talking about today. It's something like this. Imagine you go to a gas station and you fill up your car. And then for the next several hours, you just you turn your car on and just let it run idle and waste all that gas. And that sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? You know, who's going to do that? But we're no different if we fill up our spiritual reservoirs and with, with zeal that we've been talking about today. And then we go nowhere with it. And as mentioned before, it is a type of fuel and one that gives us strength to live God's way. Jesus and Phineas both saw situations that showed disrespect for God, and they took the appropriate action. We should be driven to take a stand for God's way when we see it defamed. And the most effective way to do that is by letting our actions show the truth. Let's live and act with love, the love of Jesus Christ. We should also direct our zeal inward and think about what sins do we have in our lives that separate us from God. Don't point fingers. We, we're not supposed to point fingers. We need to look inside our lives and see what's going on there. And uh, if we're content to let sin remain in his temple, which our body is the temple of Christ, then we need to have some serious prayer because our salvation was purchased at such a high, high price by Jesus, the ultimate price. Our zeal should provide us with the desire to eliminate sins 
from our lives immediately. We cannot properly live for Jesus while having knowing calculated sin. You know, we, we know that we're sinning and we're going to do it anyway. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not perfect. I mess up, but I don't want to be doing willful sin. And that's what I'm talking about here. If we have willful sin in our lives, we need to go to God with it right now, confess it to him, ask him to forgive us, and ask him to deliver us from it and help us to live for him with zeal each and every day. Also remember Ephesus. He had zeal for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And take note of those who need prayer and seek out ways that you can serve them both at church and throughout the week. And pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world. A true disciple of Christ, like his or her teacher, is always seeking how he can serve those in need. And don't do it out of desire to get ahead, but out of zeal for our Father's house, out of zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's serve one another. Well, that concludes our study of the full armor of God. Again, if you missed any of them and you want to go back and listen, just look up the Love and Action podcast wherever you receive a podcast, and you can listen to the messages there. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope you have a great rest of the day. I hope you have a wonderful week coming up. And I pray, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.